1990, if you could transport yourself back there a little ways. Lewiston, Maine. A report came into the police department that a thief was coming. His target was the Big Apple convenience store. Officers viewed the report seriously and took steps to prepare. So they set up a stakeout and they watched for the thief's arrival. The outcome of the story, however, shows that they were not prepared enough. Because the thief came, entered through an unguarded back door, and he struck quickly and suddenly, and a poor young cashier lost her life. I don't know if you remember that article. Although are adequately warned of the enemy's approach and thinking that they would have plenty of time to act, the authorities overestimated themselves and underestimated the schemes of the adversary. They left themselves exposed and a key piece of protection was missing and the outcome, obviously, in that case was devastating. Had there been adequate preparation and full protection, a life would have been spared. Again, applying the principle of Jesus' words on being watchful, Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 and 43 say this. Jesus said, Be sure of this, that if the head of the household had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now, contextually, Jesus was speaking about our alertness to his return. But as it applies to our present spiritual journey through life, we must also apply the principle of watchfulness in regard to our enemy. We must be fully prepared. We must be completely protected. Now, let me ask you, are you? Do you think that you are? Are you fully prepared and are you completely protected? The last time we were together, we came to the realization that we are engaged in a spiritual war and we need to be prepared for it. Amen? The spiritual battles require spiritual preparation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, we examined that adequate preparation requires at least three things, at least in those verses. Number one, relying on spiritual power. You need to rely on spiritual power. Number two, you need to put on spiritual protection. Number three, you need to develop a spiritual perspective. What is the Holy Spirit, through Paul, saying about your life? Look at Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment. And let's review verses 10 to 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is saying here about your life is this. You are under spiritual attack, and his implication is that every single believer is under some sort of unseen assault. That's what he's saying there. The question is, do you actually buy it? Do you believe it? 
And if so, what are you doing about it? The struggle is not ultimately a physical one, Paul says, against flesh and blood, but a spiritual one against our adversary, the devil, and his forces. And they are opposing us in a variety of powerful and a very, very effective ways. Let me list a few for you. See if you can relate to some of these. Our adversary is always attempting to cast doubt on God's character and credibility, causing people to disregard him and disobey him. He's always actively attacking believers through doctrinal confusion and false teaching. He's constantly causing us to forget God's victory by distracting us and attempting to derail us with temptation and a preoccupation with our personal problems. Is that right? You see that? He hinders our service by diverting our time and attention to worldly pursuits rather than spiritual ones. He drives us to rely on our own wisdom, our own wealth, our own strength to fight the battle, and we always lose on those terms. He undermines our integrity by leading us into hypocrisy, which destroys our influence on others and our self-respect. He is relentlessly manipulating us through the media and through our emotions with negative messages about who we are and how valuable we are to Christ. You see that happening in the world around you? you see it happening in your own life? In summary, what he attempts to do, and this is a review, but he attempts us to depart from the will of God, to doubt the word of God, and to diminish or divert our worship of God. And he's doing everything to knock us off our feet, leaving us vulnerable to attack. So Paul says that in addition to relying on spiritual power, putting on spiritual protection, and developing a spiritual perspective, we also need to prepare by assuming a spiritual posture. Assuming a spiritual posture. Look at Ephesians 6 again. Now verse 13. Therefore, because of this struggle, you realize that it's a spiritual one in the previous verses. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, how do we do that? It's a good question. Now, the only way to assume a firm stance is to have our protective weapons in place and intact. Do you? Do you have them intact? Do you have them in place? That's the big question for today. And are you feeling a little defeated right now, possibly in your life? Overwhelmed? Check the arsenal, Paul says. Is it all in place? Is it all intact? The best way to assure ourselves that we are prepared is to take a firm stand and to, and to take a firm stand, according to verse 14 here, is by asking some pointed questions. Look at verse 14 too. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need to ask a few pointed spiritual questions here. 
And the first one is this, as we work through these verses. Do I really want to fight this battle at all? Do you? Am I sincere about dealing with this battle spiritually? We need to come to terms with the answers to those questions. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant man. And that was his statement. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Truly believe it. Ephesians, again, Ephesians 10, chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. I want to read it to you out of the message. If you don't have a copy of the message in front of you, just close your eyes and just picture this. Listen to it. Concentrate on it. Take a moment and seek God through it. Paul says God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. That's the way the message puts those verses. Bill Voltman once wrote in Basking in His Presence that above all, we must be absolutely aware of who we really are. Remember, we're not human beings having random spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings having human experiences. This is the reality, friends. This is the reality. And you may think it's fantasy, but it's not. Frederick Beekner was right when he wrote these words. He said, reality can be hard and that you shut your eyes to it only at your peril because if you do not face up to the enemy in all his dark power, then the enemy will come up from behind some dark day and destroy you while you are facing the other way. Just like what occurred in 1990 at the Big Apple. When you're looking the wrong way, he'll come up behind you and destroy you. To live in ignorance of spiritual warfare is the most naive and dangerous thing that a person can do. John Eldridge writes, it's like skipping through the worst part of town late at night, waving your wallet above your head. It's like walking into an Al-Qaeda training camp wearing an I love the United States t-shirt. It's like swimming with great white sharks dressed as a wounded sea lion and smeared with blood. And let me tell you something, you don't escape spiritual warfare simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. The bottom line is, you are going to have to fight for your heart. Plain and simple. Again, verses 13 to 16 of Ephesians 6, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now I think it's important to note here what verse 13 says first and foremost. No matter what battle we're facing, the first step is to be willing to fight it spiritually by taking up the full armor of God in order to resist when things turn extremely bad, i.e. in the evil day. And then confident that we've done everything that we can to do spiritually, then to trust God with the rest, maintaining our spiritual footing, our physical footing, and standing firm. The text, if you read it, says absolutely nothing here about always seeing victory in the struggle that we have in this life. It's not there, is it? It doesn't imply guaranteed deliverance or even peaceful circumstances in your life. It says that knowing you've taken up God's personal coat of armor, you can stand firm. That's what it says. You can hold your ground. You can watch God work. You've done everything you can do and you're walking in obedience to God and He's going to take it from here. Amen? Now that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? It's even tougher to put into practice. But that's the implication that Paul has here. Note the order of James chapter 4, verse 7. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Note the order. You draw near to God by clothing yourself with his protection. And he will draw near to you and nothing on the face of the earth or in the spiritual heavenlies can destroy you ultimately or separate you from his love. Absolutely nothing. Jesus said that when we're enveloped in the protective care of the Father, nothing, absolutely nothing can snatch you out of his hand. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Isn't that great? Do you bank on that as you go out to fight the battle every single day? How about Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39? You know these verses if you've been in church at any length of time. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who? No one. No one will. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What's the answer? No. But in all these things, verse 37 says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise. 
So what are the weapons that we need in order to take that firm stand? What are they? Writing from a Roman prison and looking around at his round-the-clock military guard, the soldier that was chained to Paul's wrist 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Paul must have gotten this picture of this armed and ready soldier to illustrate this idea of preparedness. I think the Holy Spirit used that to have him write this metaphor. And so the first piece of equipment that Paul lists here in verse 14, he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The supportive belt of, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it attitude. Attitude. Now it says truth in the text, why am I saying attitude? Well, I'm going to explain that in a minute. But standing firm requires stability, agility, and the ability to be able to fight and stand firm. Girding your loins here is an expression of all three of those things. Stability, agility, and ability. The belt of a Roman soldier was about six to eight inches wide, made of heavy-duty leather. And it was worn around the waist and another one over the shoulder. And it was one of those critical pieces of his armor because everything else that he wore on his body was attached to the belt. If the belt wasn't in place, it's secure. The protection wasn't secure. The soldier normally wore a loose flowing tunic. However, in battle, he would draw it up and tuck it into his belt freeing him to move quickly and decisively. Paul says that truth is the belt that holds everything together. You erode truth, it all falls apart. And what do you think the greatest target of the enemy is in every age, but specifically right now in our age? What is it? It's truth. There's no absolute truth. Truth is whatever what you make it, right? That's the argument. But if you erode the belt of truth, you're left unprotected. And so Paul's talking to Christians here. He's saying, don't let that happen. Gird up your loins with the belt of truth. It's basic to the warrior. But here in this context, truth refers to truthfulness, openness, sincerity, and honesty of the warrior, his integrity. That's what Paul's getting at here. There's no hypocrisy, no deceit, no disguises. The believer must be wrapped with an attitude of sincerity of heart and mind, which frees the soldier to act quickly and effectively. Truth is what frees us to move with spiritual agility and ability and to stand securely on firm ground. The belt of truth is your attitude of life. Truthfulness is the idea. Because Paul actually refers to the truth of Scripture a few verses later on when he talks about the sword of the Spirit. So I don't think he's talking about Scripture here when he talks about the belt of truth. He's talking about our attitude. A truthful attitude. And it's based on the truth of Christ, who He is and who we are in Him. 
Every single item on this list of armor, by the way, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You can go down through every single piece and find a reference to Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and truth, John chapter 1, verse 14 says. Speaking of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said in Isaiah 11, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips and he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. He's talking about integrity, truthfulness, honesty, solidity, stability. Christ had absolute integrity. His entire life was based on truth and he was the truth. And truth is what gives unity to our Christian armor. And it's absolutely essential to how we address every single area of our lives. Every issue. How to deal with our problems. How we get wisdom. How we discern and judge the issues and circumstances that we encounter on a daily basis. Without the attitude of truth, we cannot steel ourselves against the enemy's attacks. We can't see clearly enough to make important and accurate decisions. And without truthfulness in every other area of our protective armor becomes loose and ineffective. And you know what the attitude of truth requires of us? It requires self-discipline and total commitment to it. And it means not getting all tangled up in the side issues of our life, so much so that we forget the big spiritual picture. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this, Suffer hardship with me, Paul writes to Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. How often do we get tied up in side issues in life? How often? I would dare say that it's 95% of our life is tied up in side issues. Something like a tsunami and an earthquake devastate our own town, I can guarantee you that attitude will change. You are not going to be tied up in side issues anymore. You're going to be independence, independence upon God fully or upon yourself, one of the two. These are the soldiers who are prepared to fight, the ones that don't let themselves get tied up in side issues and distracted. They're disciplined and committed to God and his truth no matter what. They've gotten rid of the hypocrisy and have drawn up every single entanglement that would hinder them into the belt of truth. Now the question is, are you one of those kinds of people? Here's a very practical illustration of how that works. I once knew a man years ago who was laid off from his job due to company cuts. Now thankfully, he immediately got a job somewhere else. And a short time into that position, the company realized that the government required them to have certified workers. Okay? They brought this man a piece of paper to sign stating 
that he was a certified technician and requested that he sign it even though he was not a certified technician. Okay? He refused. The management simply replied that because he wouldn't sign, he wouldn't lie and sign the piece of paper, that he was not, quote unquote, their kind of people and was therefore let go. He had a family to support. He had bills to pay. The economy at that time was in recession and jobs were very, very difficult to find. What would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have signed that piece of paper? Thinking the end justifies the means? I mean, I, I remember when he got the job, everybody was pra praising the Lord. The Lord brought me this job. And I believe the Lord did bring him this job. And it may have been a test, the test of his integrity to see if he was going to keep that job or be willing to give it up and depend on God or compromise his truth by lying. Praise God, he stood firm. He refused to sign. He refused to sin. He resisted in the evil day. He stood firm and he got fired. He may have acted foolishly in the rest of the world's eyes, but he had the belt of truth firmly girded around his waist and wisely held his ground. And spiritually speaking, he won that battle. You can apply something to your own life, I'm sure, because we all get tested with this kind of stuff all the time. And it may not include your job. It may include some other things in your life. But we are faced with the temptation to compromise the belt of truth in our spiritual armor every single time we walk out of our homes. Every time. We don't even have to walk out of our homes. All we got to do is turn on the TV. The enemy of your soul will attack you where it hurts. You know where it's going to hurt? In the seat of power. In the seat of power. In Scripture, the loins are a symbolic metaphor for the seat of power. What is it that drives you? That's what the seat of power is. If he can get you to compromise the truth, where that is, wherever, whatever drives you, he knows the rest of your armor is going to fall off quite simply and easily. William Bennett, former Secretary of Education, said a long time ago, I submit to you that the real crisis of our time is spiritual. Now, he was not without his own problems. But what he said was true. What afflicts us is the corruption of the heart and a turning away of the soul. Nothing has been more consequential in this societal demise than large segments of American society privately turning away from God. And to turn things around, there must become a widespread personal spiritual renewal. Now, those are true words. Gird yourself with Christ, Paul says. He is the truth. He is the truth. Here's the second question that we need to deal with in this text. Am I living a lifestyle that enables me to engage in spiritual warfare? Am I living a lifestyle that enables me or even equips me to engage in spiritual warfare? And for this, Paul deals with the breastplate 
of righteousness, or I call it the bulletproof vest of rectitude. Anybody know what rectitude is? Let me give you the dictionary definition of rectitude. The quality or state of being straight. Moral integrity. In other words, righteousness. Listen, friends, in a war, your vital organs must be protected if you want to live, if you want to survive. And Satan is aiming for your heart and for your mind and for your emotions and for your will and for your strength. And the breastplate of righteousness is our only protection against those kinds of attacks. If a soldier forgot this piece of equipment, he was doomed. And this piece of equipment was hammered to conform to the individual's body. This metal breastplate protected the warrior's chest and abdomen, his heart and his bowels. In Jewish thought, the heart represented the mind and will of a person. When you read that in the Bible, it's talking about the mind and the will. It refers to the heart. And the bowels symbolize the seat of emotion. And these are the areas that the enemy seeks to pierce through and to penetrate in us. Folks, if the righteousness of Christ is not wrapped completely around us, around our being, if our intellectual and emotional and volitional decisions are not filtered through the righteous character of Jesus Christ first, then you know what we're left to? We're left to self-righteous motives and that is no protection at all. Satan wants you to act on feelings rather than faith. Did you get that? He wants you to act on feelings rather than faith. He wants you to make decisions based on your own intellectual reasoning rather than filtering that through the lens of truth. But Paul says that your firm stance depends on the fact that you have put on Christ's righteousness because self-righteousness is a very poor protector. Very poor protector. And true righteousness can only be found in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he made him, meaning Christ, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See what that's saying? Is that when we come to Christ, when we receive the gospel, the truth of the good news, and become born from above, we clothe ourselves, or God clothes us, with the righteousness of Christ himself. That's what the scripture says. And that's what we go out to do battle with. And this armor, by the way, is not just basic issue, but tailored to fit every single one of us perfectly in our everyday lives. Christ's righteousness for everyday life. Because daily life is where the battle is won or lost. This is war. And how are we living it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. Romans 13, verses 12 and 14 says, The night is nearly over. Paul says the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know what we do? Typically, instead of Kevlar, I think the typical Christian's breastplate is nothing more than a baby's paper bib. This is how we go out to do battle. Right? I was going to take my granddaughter's bib and put it on for you just to kind of show you how ridiculous that looks. But spiritually, I think that's what we do most of the time. And that's useless against the enemy. It's made up of ritual, not real life. You know, people want their problems solved in a few quaint little counseling sessions. I know, happens all the time. Some of you know it too, you, you people out there that are mentors and counselors. But I'll tell you what most of us really need is an extensive set of quiet sessions with God until we get our life problems sorted out. We don't need more counseling, we need more holiness. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says we are spiritual warriors and we fight as servants of God with spiritual weapons. And this, these are the weapons, according to 2 Corinthians 6. We fight in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 6 and 7. That's the bulletproof vest of righteousness in action. That's the lifestyle that enables you and me to engage in the fight. Any other kind of lifestyle offers absolutely no resistance and no protection. Question number three that comes out of this text. Am I prepared to stand? Am I prepared to stand? Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's a strange verse, isn't it? I think out of all the armor, people don't get this one the most. What does that mean? What does that mean to shod your, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Here's a very simple principle. If a man can't stand, he can't fight. Right? Words of wisdom from the karate kid. That's where it came from. Right? If a man can't see, he can't fight. If a man can't breathe, he can't fight. If a man can't stand, he can't fight. Plain and simple. If you can't stand, you can't fight. You can't stand firm without well-supported shoes. Paul says, the shoes of a Roman soldier were strong. They were heavy, strapped on, and bound tight. Studded with nails, which gave them a firm footing while under attack. That's what we need in the spiritual battle. Sure-footedness. That's what Paul's getting at. And you know what that comes from? It comes from being secure in the good news that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. We have peace and are confident in our relationship to Him. Many people think that Paul's referring here to our readiness at all times to proclaim the gospel. That's the way they've translated this verse. But Paul really isn't talking about preaching in this context. He's talking about the fact that we find our security in the gospel. Knowing that we're in a right relationship with God, that He loves us, 
and is with us at all times gives us this sense of confidence and readiness. So much so that we're prepared to fight to the death because we know that whatever the outcome, we're at peace with God. Romans 8.31 What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, you finish it. Who can be against us? Romans 5. Read the first two verses this week. Meditate on them. You know, we've been made right with God. And because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory one day. The security of what the gospel has done for your life. That's what it means to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But you need to know this. And I need to say this very clearly to you. That if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you are not clothed with Christ. And if you're not clothed with Christ, then there is no guarantee of protection in the spiritual battle. Jesus said, he who is not with me, what? Is against me. Which makes you at odds with the only hope that you have for survival. Did you get that? If you're without Christ, it means you're at odds with your only hope for survival. Because He is your defender. He is your shield. But if you don't have Him, He's not your defender. And He's not your shield. And He is not your friend, the Scripture says. Because there's bad blood between you. There's bad blood between you and the king if you're not clothed with Jesus and you're in a battle all on your own. And what you need is not to have bad blood between you. You need Christ's blood over you. You need the peace that faith in Christ brings. It's your only hope. Jesus is our peace, says Ephesians 2.14. He's our peace. Question number four in this text. It begs the question, am I able to defend myself against the enemy? Verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This shield of faith, this is our cover. This is our force field, so to speak. Now, Roman soldiers used primarily two different types of shields. A small round one was often secured to the arm for quick defense. But Paul here doesn't refer to that one. So that picture's kind of a little bit off. What Paul's referring to here is a different device altogether. It was a four-foot-high, two-and-a-half-foot-wide, door-shaped shield designed to protect the entire body. You could get behind it. And it was made of an iron frame or solid wood and covered with leather soaked in water to douse flaming arrows. Think now in your mind, Lord of the Rings, right? Soldiers on the front lines in Paul's day would form this huge phalanx. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those which is a group of soldiers that would get together and they would put these shields, the front line would have them in front, the side people would have them on the side, the rear people would have them in, in, in back, 
And then all the guys in the middle would have their shields over their heads. So you can imagine what this looks like moving through a field. Almost impenetrable. As a side note, by the way, when Paul says take up the shield of faith, when you think about that formation, it reminds me of the community of faith. The community of faith. Because that also becomes essential to our protection. When we stand together, our shields connected and intact, we cover each other and form an almost impenetrable moving force advancing the kingdom of God. John Eldridge makes a very serious point, specifically for men, when he writes in his book, Wild at Heart, don't even think about going into battle alone. Don't even try to take the masculine journey without at least one man by your side. Yes, there are times when a man must face the battle alone and fight with all he's got, but don't make that a lifestyle of isolation. And how many guys are doing that? But community, I need to remind you, is no substitute for God. Faith is our shield. Trust in God is the only resource that we have to protect us from the assaults of the enemy and that he hurls at us from every angle. It's not blind faith or a leap in the dark. It's a belief that God is ultimately and finally in control. A settled trust. That's what this shield of faith is. A settled trust in God. When missionary John Patton was translating the Bible for the South Sea Islanders, he could not find a word in their vocabulary for this concept of trust and faith and belief. Then one day a native came into his hut and flopped down in a chair. And he said, It is so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And John had found his word. And that's how he translated the word faith in that language. Faith is resting your whole weight upon God. That's what faith is. Is that the kind of faith that you have? You rest your whole weight upon him? Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. You know, because Satan's quiver is full, full of missiles designed to take us down and burn us alive. He's going to fire every flaming temptation imaginable at you and there is only one way to extinguish them. Faith. Faith in yourself won't work because self-confidence is extremely combustible. As one author reminds us, true strength doesn't come out of bravado. Until we are broken, our lives will be self-centered, self-reliant, and our strength will be our own. Faith is only as reliable as the trustworthiness of the object that it's placed in. Right? Follow me? So we can't trust ourselves because we're not reliable. When our faith takes Christ as its object, then we overcome 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? But be on your guard, however, and never confuse confidence in Christ 
with the cockiness that some Christians have of being a Christian. You know what I'm saying? You know the difference between the two? Don't confuse those things. Be prepared. Take a firm stand and hold your ground by having an attitude of truth, a lifestyle of righteousness, a sure-footed stance on the gospel, and by surrounding yourself with faith. And finally, by receiving the last two items of our spiritual warfare preparation in verse 17, which I'll read for you, but we're going to cover next week. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm just going to go over those two next time. They require a whole message. It's the headgear of hope and the switchblade of the Spirit, basically. Folks, let me wrap this up. We're in a war. I said that at the beginning. This spiritual conflict is raging all around us. Now, I'm not saying you've got to find the devil behind everything that happens to you. I don't want you to become ridiculous about this. But in your minds, I want you to remember that no matter what's going on in your life, it's a spiritual issue. Because we're spiritual people. So ultimately, behind the scenes, there's that war that's going on. Be prepared. That spiritual conflict that's raging around us, we can't see it. You can't see it. But worse yet, some of you refuse to acknowledge that it's real. But you know what? I'll give you this word of advice. You can't fight a battle that you don't believe exists. You are ill-prepared for it. You cannot do it. If you don't believe it exists, you're not going to be able to fight it. God is the only resource that we have to gain the strength that we need with the weapons that we're to use. Now, some of you may be wondering why all hell is breaking loose in your life. Well, it may be that God wants you to realize that you need him more than you'd care to admit. Do yourself a huge spiritual favor. Admit it. How many Christians have read over this passage of Scripture, these passages about, about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and all of this armor and never really known what to do with it? What lovely poetic imagery, they think. I wonder what it all means. Well, it means that God has given you armor and you'd better put it on. That's what it means. This equipment is really there and it's in the spiritual unseen realm. We don't see it, but the angels and our enemies certainly see it. Start using this spiritual armor simply by praying through this passage of Ephesians chapter 6 as if you were suiting up for the arena. If you haven't already come to Christ, you need to pray to suit up. If you have come to Christ, you've already suited up. Start recognizing the fact that you have this armor and utilize it. So I want to take a moment right now. I know it's late, but we're going to take just 
Three more minutes. Okay? I want to engage you in something right now. This is real. I want you to pray in your own heart, in your own minds. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to turn your palms upward to God as if you were receiving this armor that he has given you. And I'm going to pray. If you agree with what I'm praying, and you just say, Amen. Just say it out loud. Say it to yourself, whatever the Spirit leads you to do. I'm going to read through the passage, and then I'm going to pray. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Lord, I put on the belt of truth. I choose a lifestyle of honesty and integrity. Show me the truth that I so desperately need today. Expose the lies that I'm not even aware that I'm believing. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place, Yes, Lord, I wear your righteousness today against all condemnation and corruption. Fit me with your holiness and purity. Defend me from all the assaults against my heart. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, I do choose to live for the gospel at any moment. Show me where the larger story is unfolding and keep me from being so lax that I think the most important thing today is the soap operas of this world. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Jesus, I lift against every lie and every assault the confidence that you are good. I lift the shield of faith that you have good in store for me. Nothing is coming today that can overcome me because you are with me. And Take the helmet of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I receive it in a new and fresh way from you and I declare that nothing can separate me now from the love of Christ and I place in the place I shall ever have in your kingdom the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Holy Spirit, show me specifically today the truths of the Word of God that I will need to encounter the assaults and the snares of the enemy. Bring them to mind throughout this day. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Finally, Holy Spirit, I agree to walk in step with you in everything. In all prayer, as my spirit communes with you throughout the day. Amen.